They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. I, I want to begin um, this morning by reminding you of what you know. We're in the middle of a series called The Community of Christ, which is about the church. But I, I want to um, add a disclaimer. Sometimes when you study the history of the church, for instance, the book of Acts, and look at the history of the church, you could, for good reason, lapse into something that is an exaggerated form of application. What do I mean by that? We could look at the church in the book of Acts and suggest that somehow it was almost perfect. If we could just get back to it, everything would be great. We'd be all right. What we know is that it wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, the reason most of the New Testament was written was because it wasn't perfect. When Paul wrote any number of his epistles, he was addressing problems in the church, and we happen to be the beneficiaries of those problems because we have his instructions. It's also safe to say that sometimes we lap into a replication theory, right? So we say to ourselves, if we could just replicate this, the way they did it nowadays, maybe things would be better. I want to suggest that that's probably improper most of the time. Not because everything they did was wrong or everything they did was right, but because when we apply things too uncritically, right, like a template, what we fail to embrace is the notion that there's a principle in there that needs to be applied, not a particular practice with exact measures of the previous practice. So, for instance, when we come to the passage today, I think it's important to ask questions about the principle rather than the exact nature of the practice. What I want to focus on is generous giving or the joy of giving generously. And we see that in Acts 2.42 through 47. Here's what we see. In the early church, there were no unmet needs. No one had a need that was unmet. If somebody was struggling financially, if somebody did not have enough food, if someone did not have enough clothing, the community supplied the need. No questions asked. Why was that true? Because they had everything in common. In other words, they shared everything. They didn't even consider their own property to just be theirs. 
They considered it to be a gift from God that they could use. And so no one had any needs. Now, this is not a statement about appropriate government policies. It's not a statement in favor of socialism, nor is it a statement in favor of what we often call the free enterprise system. It's safe to say this. Luke never had that thought enter his mind. He was not considered considering politics. He was not considering government policy. All he was doing was reporting how the church, the Christ followers in the first century, functioned together in community. That's all he was talking about. However appropriate you may think your economic position is on government distribution of wealth, that's wonderful. But you can't find it in this text. The second thing to note about this text is that what was happening was a communalism. People were basically living together in a certain fashion. They had their own individual homes, but they were collectively living together and living together under oppression. They were an extreme minority and everything around them was weighing them down and they were together. And so what you hear is a description of sharing everything and having all things in common. There are two important things, well, maybe three, two important things to remember. Number one, it was voluntary. Nobody mandated it. The apostles never said, you must do this. It was absolutely voluntary. Second thing to notice, it was also temporary. In other words, this particular way of living was not replicated in every church from there on out. It wasn't. The Corinthians didn't live all in common the way the early Christians in the book of Acts did. What is also important is the precedent of the principle that it's set. Not the particulars, but the precedent. And one of the major precedents was this. These people did it voluntarily with absolute joy. And their joy was contagious. So what I'm about to do is instead of staying with this text, which there's very little information here, I'm going to move us to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to see another time where in another church the principle of generous giving is played out. So if you got a Bible, you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to begin with verse 6. What I'm about to do is read the passage, the whole thing, and then I have some slides that refer back to individual verses. So here we go, reading the whole passage. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what he has decided what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly 
so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Can I read that again? You will be enriched in every way so that so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. I want to break down this passage into basically four principles. And here's the first. The first principle is this. Your investment determines your yield. Your investment determines your yield. That's an agrarian idea as much as anything else. Throwing the seed. So look at those words. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. However you sow... You will get that much in return. Here's what's interesting about that. That principle of generosity is not new. As a matter of fact, it's not original with Paul. He's actually quoting Proverbs 11, 24 through 26. In an agrarian society to demonstrate people who give generously to the poor and how God blesses them. Nothing new about Paul's words. Also, there's nothing new about the principle because Jesus had already laid it down. It relates to those who have needs and are sometimes neglected. There's this really stirring image and kind of unnerving image where Jesus talks about the end of things and the judgment that's going to come. And certain people are going to come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I didn't ever know you. And you say, why does he say I did never know you? Well, because Jesus says, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was homeless, you didn't take me in. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And when you didn't do it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do it to me. So the principle has been laid down by Jesus already. The same principle laid down by Jesus on another topic comes to Peter. When in the garden, he pulls his sword out and strikes the ear of the high priest's servant, severing it from his head. And what does Jesus say? Peter, put that sword back in its sheath because those who live by the sword will die by the sword. You reap what you sow. So the principle has been there all along. Now here's one misuse of that principle. 
It comes to us frequently in television preachers who make all kinds of claims concerning giving and receiving and the blessings that will come if you give to their ministry. One of the more famous ones, not so long ago, made the statement that if you don't have the money, pull out your wallet, get your credit card, go into debt for this ministry, and God will bless you ten times. Really. I'm not making that up. That is not what this sowing and reaping is all about. The principle is not give in order to receive a good return. The principle is to give because God in the redemption of Jesus Christ has been so wonderful to you and out of your gratitude you give. And when you do, your yield will be great. Second principle, God honors the heart, not the amount. God honors the heart, not the amount. There's any number of people in any given congregations who have a whole lot and some who have a little. And the principle applies to both. It has nothing to do with numbers. It has everything to do with sacrifice and gratitude. God honors the heart, not the amount. Here's the, the, the verses or the verse that suggests this principle. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. That's the kind of giving that God asks for. Cheerful giving. We see this again played out in the New Testament in the teachings of Jesus. One of the places in a more negative way, Jesus plays out this principle is what he talks about rich people and poor people in the kingdom of God. He said it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Why? It's pretty clear. Because for the rich person, his or her God is money. He or she can't give it up because they're worshiping what they have. That's why it's difficult. Not impossible, as Jesus says, because with God all things are possible. But it's hard. On another occasion, in that same section of the Gospel of Mark, he two chapters later illustrates the principle by saying, I was at, didn't say it like that, but I'm going to put that, I was at the temple one day, and I noticed while I was at the temple that a very rich man came and he gave a bunch of money at the temple. And a very poor woman came and she gave, let's call it, a penny. And he said, that penny is worth more than the riches of the rich man. Why? Because she gave out of her heart. She gave sacrificially. She trusted God. Um, one more statement about this giving pretentiously and dishonestly is really dangerous God wants you to give from your heart if you want an illustration of pretentious giving dishonest giving 
and the hazards of it? Look at Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira pretended to be somebody they were not. Peter said to them, nobody told you you had to bring this. Don't, don't, don't look at us. We, we didn't say you have to bring this. You came and you told us a lie about what you had given. Pretentious giving is dangerous giving. Third thing that's a principle from this passage. The more you give, the more you are blessed. Very similar to the first principle. You see that described in verses 8 and 9. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they gave gifts freely. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That comes from uh, the Old Testament as well. He's basically quoting Psalm 112, verse 9. I love the way Eugene Peterson in his translation, The Message, puts this. Here's the principle he says. He, the one who's doing this, he throws caution to the wind, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out. Never wear out. Also in Luke's gospel, give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. So imagine a big basket full of seed for the next harvest. When you give generously, that seed will be shaken so it settles. It'll be pressed down, and even more will be added. That's the promise. What's what's the principle behind the promise? The principle behind the promise is trust and faith. It's not about getting credit. It's not about getting a good yield. It's about trust and faith. There was an occasion where this was addressed in the Old Testament, of course, more than once. But on one particularly stark occasion, the prophet Malachi speaks to the people of Israel during a time where Israel has drifted away from God. And here are his words in Malachi 3, 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Said the prophet, but yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God answers, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse your whole nation, because you're robbing me, bring, not bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this way, says the Lord Almighty, and see 
if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. He could have said a lot of things, right? He could have mentioned a lot of commandments that were being broken. Wonder why he focused on the tithes and offerings. I think the answer is because maybe more than anything else, our money reveals our heart. Maybe more than anything else, Christian discipleship, when it relates to stewardship, tithes and offerings, suggests that we have faith that God will supply our needs and that we are overwhelmingly grateful for what God has given us. Remember the passage we read just earlier? So that you have been blessed so that you can give generously. Here's a Christian principle for you that you will not find outside in the world. Everything you've been given has been given to you by God so you can give it away. How about that for a revolutionary idea? I, I, I want to hasten to add something. Um, this could sound like heavy, right? And grumpy. I've been accused of being grumpy a lot of times in my life, but I'm not trying to be grumpy. I just want to talk about what God's word says concerning stewardship and money. And this is part of what it says. But a key that you notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is that it should be cheerful giving, not reluctant giving. Nobody demanding it. It ought to come from the heart. So let me use you an analogy for you. Whenever it's Christmas time, it's not a chore for me to get gifts for people. Especially when my kids were little. I mean, we would watch it carefully and try to figure out what the best deal was, right? I mean, we didn't have a lot of money. But I don't ever remember giving them their gifts reluctantly. What I remember was the absolute pure delight of giving them a gift and watching them open it. That's what I remember. And even to this day, with adults in the family, the same thing. Watch next Christmas, if you can remember. The face of the giver when the recipient is opening the gift. Their eyes are latched on to the recipient. And they can't wait to see that expression. Because it gives them joy. That's what giving in the New Testament is all about. It's about a joyful activity. So how do we make this practical? Well, first, 
it's a reminder of what we just went through, whether it was in Acts or whether it was in 2 Corinthians. What people did is they gave to the apostles. Timothy was the courier of the gifts from 2 Corinthians to another church. They gave to the apostles, they gave to the church leaders in order for them to distribute the gifts as needed. Well, let me put it another way. Paul didn't set up a GoFundMe account for Fred. There's nothing wrong with a GoFundMe account. I I get that. But that's not what this is about. This is about needs in the church that were bigger. They were about the whole church. And people gave so they could support the ministry of the church. So that people could continue to be trained. So that people could continue to be sent out. So that the kingdom of God would come. The second thing is that the notion of tithing, which I honestly don't like talking about. The notion of tithing is sometimes referred to as an Old Testament concept. And not a New Testament one. It strikes me that to say that is a little bit like saying, well, you know what? The Ten Commandments are an Old Testament idea, not a New Testament idea. Because they're never really listed in the New Testament in the same order as the book of Exodus. Really? You mean you don't find them all throughout the New Testament when it comes to admonitions concerning what Christ followers ought to be like? Of course you do. Principle thinking. Not particulars. So, yes, the notion of tithing is a New Testament principle as well as an Old Testament principle. It's about giving generously to the work of God so that the kingdom of God can advance. That's what it's about all across, all the way through. See, the problem is we think of the law as being legalistic. The law is not legalistic. It's people who use the law improperly that are the legalists. Paul said the law is righteous and holy and good. So step into it. Be a part of it. Give generously. So here's a suggestion. A couple. When it comes to this topic... um, Begin by deliberately planning to give. Set a goal. Don't don't think that spontaneous giving is somehow more spiritual than planned giving. It might be the other way around. You don't need your heartstring to be tugged in order to give in a spiritual way. You need to give in terms of planning. That should be a principle that we could extract from this and many other passages. Um, Second, give from the first fruits of what you have. That's a principle that we see throughout as well. I remember my father-in-law talking about growing up on a farm uh, in Shelbyville, back when that's just about all there was in Shelbyville. Maybe still is, I don't know. But anyway, uh, it wasn't Indianapolis. It, it was outside Indianapolis. It was a farm. And they grew up on the farm, and they would milk their own cows. And when they would milk their own cows and set the bottles at the front door, especially in the winter, 
the cream would rise to the top. Love to shave off that cream. That's the first fruit. It's the best. It's the sweetest. You know what's underneath it? All the milk that you need. All the milk you need. God will supply your needs according to his riches and glory. Giving's about gratitude. Giving is about faith. Make it your goal to set a percentage for giving. Just make it your goal. See if you can keep the goal. And then ask a question about proportional giving. Can I give more? My father tells about, I've mentioned before, a, a businessman who took this notion very seriously. Um, and he was making so much money, he realized at one point he didn't need it all. So you know what he did? He reversed tithing. He lived on 10% and he gave away 90%. Lived on 10% and gave away 90%. Because he could. And he did it joyfully. And it was a service to God and the church. So here's the thing. If we all gave generously, there would be no such thing as needy among us. If we all gave generously, there would be no such thing as unfunded ministries. If we all gave generously, there would be no such thing as not enough funds to send people out to do the work of God. If we all gave generously from a generous, cheerful heart, it would actually Give us great joy. So I suggest that that's the principle from Acts 2.42 through 47 and 2 Corinthians 9. Give generously out of a cheerful heart and God will bless you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all you've given to us. Um, it's a perspective that, that we need to embrace. That we didn't earn it. We don't own it. It's uh, all yours and it's a blessing from you. So help us to understand uh, how with whatever resources we have, we share it generously. It's going to mean different things for different people. It's going to, it's going to affect all of us differently except the one way that it will affect us all the same is that if we do it from a grateful heart it will increase our faith and it will give us joy we know that's true because we've seen it happen not only in the New Testament church but throughout church history and we've experienced in our lives so give us the grace to do that in the name of Christ our Lord we pray Amen